0: Hello and welcome to the Pillar Podcast. I am not your host, J.D. Flynn. He's not here for this very special episode. I am delighted to be joined by Major League Baseball pitcher Trevor Williams, formerly of the Chicago Cubs, now, tragically, of the New York Mets, but still great player, great guy, and more importantly, um, a very public and very practicing Catholic. So Trevor, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Of course, thanks for uh, thinking of me and I appreciate you having me on.
0: I'll start with just a brief bio for people who aren't already familiar with your playing career and where you came from and everything, but you were born in San Diego, you played ball at Arizona State in college, you were drafted by the Marlins, you made your major league debut in 2016 for the Pirates,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: next season you moved from the bullpen to the starting rotation. And then what I assume was a career high so far was you signed for the Cubs in 2020, <laughs> for the 2021 season, I should say. And then on, on what I'm now referring to exclusively as Black Friday, um, you and pretty much everybody else <laughs> were traded from the team. And you ended up at the at the New York Mets, along with Javi Paez, Um but you have also been, I think it's fair to say, a pretty prominent Catholic, a pretty a pretty open guy about your faith in all of this.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I've always been told, you know, the most important thing is uh, if you don't introduce yourself as a baseball player. Right? You introduce yourself. It's like, look, I'm, I'm uh, a husband. I'm a father. I'm a brother. I'm a friend. And then, by the way, I also play baseball as well. But um, I mean, it's a huge part of my identity. There's no doubt about that. And it's um, provided a lot of opportunities for me. Um, how I see it is like, look, I love the game of baseball. I love um, competing. I also love Christ Church, and I love being being able to speak out about my faith in um, in the setting and environment that I'm in.
0: So I have an entire nerd philosophy of how Catholicism and baseball fit together better than any other possible uh, religious hear sport sporting combination.
1: <laughs> let's I, hear I it.
0: promise I will bore you at nausea with all this, but... Sort of going back to the beginning, I, I assume. I mean, I don't know how how one gets to be a major league ball player because if I did, I'd I'd have done that. Um, but did you were were you a cradle Catholic and a cradle ball player? Was that were, were those both things that you sort of started from a very young age, or were there were either the sport or the faith were those things you picked up along the way?
1: Yeah. So in in terms of uh, of baseball, yes, uh, cradle baseball player um, from a very early young age, I knew that I was good at that sport. And I knew that it was the only sport I was good at. Like I did, couldn't throw a football. Good. Um, I couldn't, I didn't have a jump shot. Um, I wrestled a little bit. Cause my father was a wrestler, but like I was too tall and lanky. And I just, I got flipped by the smaller kids. And it was just like, you know what? I'm, I'm good. Just being a baseball player. I was born and raised Catholic. My parents took me to mass every Sunday, did the whole CCD, did the entire nine yards. And it wasn't until um, I was confirmed. In high school and going through a youth ministry, that um, it really formed me as a better Catholic. And um, getting into college, diving deeper into apologetics, really helped me with my faith because it was the first time in my life where I encountered different um, different denominations. It was it was a great moment for me from learning. Um, I studied I studied history in college, knowing that I was going to become a baseball player. So I studied history to take a post-Reformation Europe class, to take an early Christianity class, to take, to take stuff that's going to help form me uh, and be a, better, um, be a better Christian and also be a better Catholic and, and know about the church more.
0: And I mean, it, what you're saying about intellectual formation of the faith, I think is something that's, that's really important. It's something that I, it sounds like you sought out. Um, and, you know, I think it's one of the challenges we're dealing with as a church in a modern society is that the way in which... Christians used to be intellectually formed just sort of in the ordinary parish practice of the faith is something that we're having to kind of re-examine and reinvent a little bit. But one of the things that I've also, I've always talked about, because like I said, I have an entire nerd philosophy of baseball and Catholicism, is the way in which the faith and the game both have a lot of the same instructions to offer in terms of character formation. So when I was growing up in Chicago, uh, I remember watching Cubs games with my dad and my grandfather, especially, and in the 1980s, the Cubs were terrible. Yeah, <laughs> I mean they're still terrible today. Um, they were they were good for a little while there, but um, no, it's it was you know the they were the the lovable losers. Handle was there, even though they had three future Hall of Famers on on the roster. But I remember my grandfather particularly telling me that you know you could see virtues in how baseball was played that like when Andre Dawson turned up at Cubs training camp with a blank contract, I remember my grandfather saying to me, this is what humility is. And Mm -hmm. it seems that there's, you know, you see in other sports, basketball, football, things like that, that there's teamwork, there's all of that sort of thing, but baseball ingrains humility in a particular way from a very young age, because for example, if you're a really good pitcher, a major league level Mm -hmm. pitcher, you still have to take it bats, and that may not be your strongest suit.
1: No. (laughs)
0: And even if you're a great batter, you're going to strike out more times than you're going to hit the ball. You know that there is there there is a sort of school of character built into the game. Is that something that you perceived at all as you were coming up? Is that is that helped you at all when you're sort of dealing with the idea of faith and redemption and all of us being sinners and that sort of thing? Is do you do you see a parallel there?
1: Yeah, I mean I think I think sport in general is is something that a lot of people can relate to. And a lot of people like a lot of people are fanatics for their sport, right? Like that's that's the term fan. And you look, you look around, <laughs> you look around the stadium, and especially because it's becoming football season, you see it a lot more now. But like every Monday, there's 10 videos of fights in the stands, right? Every Monday. And like when you look at it from like the faith perspective, it's like, am I getting in a fight every Sunday over like if someone talks bad about my church or about like my faith. Am I getting in a fight? Like it, it seems so it's, it's it's hard to like draw. It's hard to draw a parallel, but in the end it's like, well, why aren't like, why aren't I, why aren't I dressing up every Sunday? Why aren't I doing this? And like, and telling everyone like, Hey, I'm going to mass today at 7 PM. I got tickets to mass. Like who wants to go with me? I have an extra, team. you know, like to find that parallel, I think it's, it's uh, unique. And it's, it's cool to see from the perspective that I have as a baseball player, because I'm on the field looking out in terms of humility. It's, it's something that I can go into a lot about sport, and humility and baseball and humility. And what has helped me as a player, what has helped me as a player is um, praying the litany of humility. What has helped me is I have a devotion to St. Benedict. So learning his ladders of humility, the ladder of humility. And like <laughs> there, one example I can give is one, one of the rings of the ladder of humility is the brother must think of himself as like the lowest and he must believe it and truly believe it. Not just say that like, I'm sure we've all met people like I'm the most humble person you've ever met. Right. Like, of course, like people are like that all the time. And it's a nice thing to say is like, this team is better off without me. And and truly believe that it's, it's easy to say and it's easy to pray, but there's always that prayer in the back of your mind. Like Jesus, like if, if it is your will, like humble me today and today's game. It's like, but like, I would also love, seven zeros like i'd also love to win this game right now like i could i could be humble in other ways after the game and the interview but um i don't want to be humiliated on the mount right but sometimes that's what we're um we're called for that to happen and um when it's happening in the moment it's hard to find how is this sanctifying right like how how is this like i'm getting embarrassed in this game i love um, but um, when you talk to people around the leagues, even without a faith background, it's like, it's part of the game, like part of the game is failure and it's how do you, and it's how you respond to that failure and how you take up that, the cross of failure is so how's it going to make you a better player? How's it going to make you a better person? And it's a wild game. I've been playing it for a long time, not, not, not super long, but I've been playing it my entire life and I've grown up in the big leagues. I've been in the big leagues for a few years and I just, it's, I, you see it everywhere and how people handle that failure is incredible.
0: And how what role does fraternity play in all of that for you, both sort of on the field mm-hmm. and also as a Catholic? I mean, I know you're a, a knight of Columbus. I think I'm right. Mm-hmm. Kind of, um, how does how does the experience of sort of fraternity because it strikes me that if you're a major league ball player, I mean you're on the road a lot and you've got a family at home who presumably you can't see as often as you'd like um yeah. during the season, but also you've got the practice of the faith that you you presumably wanted to want to keep up while you're on the road. And I think for a lot of Catholics, family and faith is something that is supported by daily rhythms, weekly rhythms that, you know, you, you have dinner every night, you know, at six o'clock or whatever it is. That's when family dinner is that mass is on Sunday morning and everyone goes together. How do you preserve the rhythm and, and the bonds of family and the practice of the faith when you've got to spend so much time on the road?
1: We were really lucky um, in Chicago because of how many day games it was like we had a normal nine to five job like because during the base, normal baseball season, you have game at seven. So you're usually leaving for the field around one o'clock or one thirty and then you're not getting back until one a.m. Midnight and the kids are asleep and everyone's asleep. But when I was playing for the Cubs, because we had so many day games, I would wake up with the kids, go to work right? Go to work and then come back in time to, uh, to put them to bed. And it was amazing to find, to get the rhythm that way. And, uh, on the road, you make it work on the road. Honestly, like, I hate to say it, but like my, my routine is better on the road because I have the ability to just leave my hotel room and go to mass. Like I don't have to be like, okay, are all the kids ready or all the kids like, or is it nap time, you know? And on the road, it's a little easier for me, um, at home, in terms of like brotherhood, there's an incredible um, ministry called CAC Catholic Athletes for Christ. And prior to the pandemic, and most stadiums now are opening back up, um, you would have mass every Sunday or or Saturday night at the field um, at all big league stadiums. So um, that ministry for me is, has really helped me. Like uh, my family would be able to come out to mass at the field, and we'd be able to to celebrate. And having the option for other players that aren't going every Sunday and whenever you just kind of like, hey, there's mass in the uh in section one fourteen, right? Like you want to come out today instead of instead of like if you have an extra hour, you have an extra 45 minutes, come on. And um but but for the most part, there's a lot of good guys at the big league level. There's a lot of guys that love Christ and there's a lot of guys that that understand there's much more important things than baseball. And that has been helpful. I've met a lot of really good friends in baseball that way. But yeah, I'm, I'm just extremely thankful for uh, the CAC ministry.
0: And you got married. Um, I don't think, I don't think it'd be fair to say you got married young. you got married younger than people tend to do these days. Yes. Um, you got married. It was it 22. You were?
1: Yes, I believe so.
0: So I'm just trying to do the math here. Had you been drafted by that point?
1: Yeah. So I was drafted. So how
0: do you get, how do you discern marriage when you know, you've got a ticket to the big show? Because that strikes me as a very, very difficult, I, I, mean, I mean, you know, not so much like, you know, I must be a, a big deal because I got drafted, but I mean, you're looking at a very precarious life, you don't know where you're going to be assigned, you don't know where you're going to be living and working and everything. How do you discern the stability of a vocation like marriage while you're looking at a career that could take you anywhere?
1: I mean, well, kudos to my wife, Jackie, for uh, we started dating when I was throwing like 84 miles an hour. So she she sought me out. She was the biggest scout. She was the one that should uh, she got paid. She saw me and said, you know, he might make it. Some of us lie awake at
0: night dreaming we could throw a baseball (laughs) at 75 miles an hour. (laughs) Um,
1: I met my wife in youth ministry. I mean, I discerned marriage immediately because I knew when I met her, I was going to marry her. So everything else was whatever. Right. And um, she went to Gonzaga University to... um, become a nurse. And prior to getting drafted, knowing that like my career path was going to hopefully end up become um, pitching at the big league level and making a career out of it. We had to really sit down, talk about it, pray through it. Like this is, this is my dream. My dream is to make it to the big leagues. Your dream is to become a nurse. How can we do this? Um, Like you can't get licensed to be a nurse in every state we live in if we're getting married, I want you to be with me. I don't want to do, I've seen too many people do I'm married. I'm playing Florida. But my wife's in California and we would never see each other, we were very adamant that we weren't going to do that. But the humility that she, that she poured forth saying like, I'm going to put my dream on hold for yours was, was incredible. And it helped me fall in love with her more say her saying that because I knew I was going to be a big leader. I knew it and I believed it, but for her to believe it as well was, was incredible because she had no clue. She was just, it was a shot in the dark. It was totally, if you believe it, Trevor, like I believe it too. So she put her career on hold um, for mine. When we got married, we moved to Jacksonville. Jacksonville was the double A affiliate for the Marlins at the time. Um, that's the team that I was going to be on. And we moved into an apartment and we started, and she got certified to become a nurse in florida because it's like well while we why we don't have kids let's get you a nursing job in um in florida and it was literally like our first month into our marriage we moved to florida second month found out we were pregnant and it goes maybe maybe you're just not supposed to be a nurse right now you know like maybe maybe this is not the way that it's supposed to be but um she still wants to do it when we're done playing i don't know how long I mean, I mean, hope i pitch until i'm you know 45 but um that's still her dream and i know that she's gonna go dream chasing as soon as i'm done with mine and um i I can't wait for that for that next chapter
0: patience seems to be a virtue you need both in baseball and marriage okay Uh, no kidding i I know you had you you missed um a lot of the earlier part of this season because you had an emergency appendectomy um that presumably came out of the blue. I, you don't have a planned emergency appendectomy, I imagine, but I mean, what's it like if you really are so reliant on not just your health, but I mean, it strikes me for pitchers especially like, you know, I've seen guys, you know, had to have to drop out of the rotation for you know weeks because of a fingernail or something that you really do seem to have a very precarious situation. Um, How do you, how do you adjust your, your spiritual life or how does your spiritual life help you frame that kind of precariousness? How do you develop a sort of virtue of patience, really not knowing if you're going to be able to, to do your job tomorrow or let alone in five years.
1: I think, like you said earlier, you have to, we're creatures of habit. Naturally, athletes are creatures of habit. And I know when I'm healthy, I know what my pitching habit is like as a starting pitcher every five days on the day after my start, I'm doing this and the next day I'm doing this. And I, for every five days, it's a rotating cycle of, this is what I got. This is what I have to do today. Um, when you get injured, like that, all gets thrown away. Like I can't. Hey, <laughs> I told all my buddies, like get your appendix out the first week of the offseason. Like if you didn't already get it out when you were 12 years old, like everybody else, like just get it out on the offseason because that was just I feel so lame. I'm like, look, how did my appendix not get taken out when I was younger? Like this, of course, this happened when I'm 29 years old in the big league level, so I miss a month of the big league season, right? But. The routines that you get as a baseball player are dependent on your health. Right? If, if my arm hurts, I can't throw and do my throwing routine. If you create a habit spiritually, like it doesn't matter if you hurt or not, right? The first thing you do when you wake up, are you praying the liturgy, of the hours? Is that If that's part of your routine, that's what you're doing, regardless of if your arm hurts or not, regardless if you have an appendix or not. Um, are you making sure you're getting to mass every Sunday? If you can't, um, there's plenty of live streaming options. If you're, if you still have an exemption, right. And then there's also, you, you have to, you have to make a routine, um, regardless of your health and, um, the, the, liturgy of the hours for me has helped me, um, the last few years, um, certain prayers, certain prayers, we pray as a family, um, and just getting into that routine because I am a creature of habit and it's, it's, it's helped me, um, tremendously. You,
0: you mentioned earlier, um, St. Benedict and I had it down. I, I heard a rumor that you actually have a St. Benedict tattoo or some kind of Benedictine themed tattoo. I have a, uh,
1: I have a raven on my arm.
0: Nice. So apart from St. Benedict, who are your go-tos? Who are the
1: saints that you're leaning on? Um, when I got married, I relied heavily on St. Joseph. Um, I tattooed the lily rod on my arm after St. Joseph, because I needed help becoming a, a husband and father <laughs> and, um, Saint Joseph has been a big one for me. Saint Benedict has been a big one for me. In college, I loved Saint Ignatius of Loyola. I loved um, I loved the spiritual exercises. I think naturally because I was an athlete, I wanted something to like something to exercise. And then learning about the the, the church fathers at school was was amazing for me. Saint Polycarp, um, Saint Anthony of the Desert um, guys guys like that. But it's, in terms of like devotion every day, it's Saint Joseph, Saint Benedict.
0: You mentioned, you know, going to mass and, you know, when you when you can't, um when you can't get physically to mass, live streaming and all that sort of stuff. Something I've always had tickled the back of my head, and I've talked to a bunch of priests who are also baseball fans about this. And I'd be interested in your take, being sort of the opposite of a priest talking to a Catholic, being a baseball player talking to a fan. Um, there's an element I think of liturgy in baseball that you don't necessarily get in other sports that are watched at the professional level. And what I mean by that is this, like, um, so there's this book by a philosopher um, out in California named Alva Noe called Infinite Baseball. And one of the things he says that makes baseball different is the way the game is watched changes the nature of the game. That unlike, you know, football, where it's either a touchdown or it's not, what's a strike is subjective. It's something that exists because it's perceived that it requires the active participation of the people attending, which is... You know, fundamentally, what we as Catholics are supposed to be doing when we go to the Eucharist that, you know, you're, you're there, but you're not a spectator, you're actively participating by being there. Um, do you feel any kind of similarity when you are, you know, go from being on the mound in a in a full stadium to being a Catholic in a set of full pews in a church? Is that a parallel that makes better sense to you having been on the other side of it as a professional sportsman? Like, does the concept of active participation in the liturgy mean something more to you because you've been on the other side?
1: I think it would be interesting if I let's just say, like, if because I'm a baseball player and I am on the altar of the baseball field, right? Like I'm at I'm center stage on the mound. Um, I wonder what that perspective would look like if I were to become a deacon, right? Like, or, or something like actively participating in, in the liturgy. Um, I wonder if, if I would have different feelings about it or not. But um, for me, for me, whenever I see a crowd or whenever I, like, whenever the hometown or the home crowd cheers for their team, it's hard to describe and it's hard to describe as a player, um, like, it's hard to describe as a player that like when I make a pitch and I strike somebody out and the crowd goes wild. Like that's, that's a feeling that I can't describe to people who don't, who have never experienced that before. When I go to mass and everyone is um, processing up to the Eucharist, like that is hard to explain to someone who has never participated in a mass that way or or experienced that, like walking up to receive our Lord for if if it's for the first time or for the millionth time. Um, It's something communal i think that that works for for both sides um yeah no, it's, that's an interesting um as it is an interesting parallel like i last year was awful because there were no fans in the stands and like it was awful watching live stream mass right like it was it was awful no one liked it no one was smiling but it was something that you just had to do and there was great joy when you could start going to mass again, or if it was masks or now you had to sit, whatever. We just, you were there and you enjoyed it because you longed for that community. And when we sipped on the baseball field this year for opening day and it was 25% capacity, we longed for that and we needed that. At Wrigley Field, it was quote unquote 25%, but you looked around and you're like, <laughs> there's way more than 10,000 people here, which a lot of parishes did as well. Why not? <laughs>
0: right. But math has never been the strong suit no. of people at Wrigley Field. I can attest to that.
1: <laughs> no, well, like, you know, economically, it's like their lightfoot isn't going to stop people from coming in. Right. So it's like, yeah, of course, come on in. We need to somewhere hot dogs here. But I, but, but going back to it, I think, I think it's, it's the communal aspect of both sport, baseball, and mass and the liturgy is something that people, it's, it's inherent in human beings it's to be communal and I think that was that was significantly missing last year and I think it's something that we we're not going to be taking for granted again
0: and you you had mentioned um I meeting your wife uh, and also sort of deepening your faith when you were playing in college and of course something else that is a big part of your life something that's a big part of your sort of frontward facing as a baseball player is also the the charity work you do Um, And I was, I mean, I've, I've read about and um, long been fascinated with Project 34, which you started. Uh, Can you, can you tell us a little bit about how that got going and where um, the incident that led to the founding of Project 34 sort of fit into your discovery of the faith?
1: Sure. So um, my freshman year of high school, freshman year of college um, at Arizona State, my roommate was the starting center fielder as a freshman at, at ASU, which is Pretty unheard of um, guys that go to Arizona state freshmen, rarely start, um, rarely play if anything. And he uh, was a starting center fielder, super talented baseball player coming out of California. Um, we played travel ball together growing up. So we, we were familiar with each other enough to live together for a couple of years in, in college and, um, or agree to live with each other for at least one year in college and um, second game of his career. He slid headfirst into second base and uh, put his head down and ran into the uh, second baseman's knee and broke his um, C5 vertebrae. After that happened, um, he had to have emergency surgery to fuse his C5 and his C4 vertebrae together, thus making him um, a quadriplegic. Um, He has improved over the years. This happened uh, 10 years ago. And he has improved. Um, He is still... um, chest down um, no feeling and he has limited um, limited hand uh, motion but he he didn't let that um, take him out of baseball or take him out of of life he was dealt he was dealt a hand that um, no one wants to be dealt and um, through this tragedy that he faced um, out came uh, project 34 and we call it project 34 because his number in college was uh, number 34 and He was lucky in a sense where he um, got hurt on a baseball field and the NCAA covered um, his medical expenses that cover his rehab. And um, by him being in the spinal cord injury community, he recognized that there was a lack of um, community. He recognized there was a lack of uh, financial aid for people that aren't as lucky as he was getting hurt. And um, we started this foundation to help people with spinal cord injuries. So we do anything from, We just finished a a home improvement. We uh, did a ramp into a basement for a house in West Virginia. We just uh, did a truck upgrade where he needed a new chair lift for his truck. Um, We bought this kid who wanted to become a uh, Paralympic basketball player. So we got him a a basketball wheelchair. Really anything that you need will provide a grant if you have a spinal cord injury. And we're in our third or fourth year and we're, we're loving it. We're seeing the fruits of our labor finally. And it's it's something looking back now that Corey and I will, will look back and it's like we try and find the greater good out of a tragedy and we're not gonna, we're not going to try and like point to something specific like you got hurt so we could help this person, right but it's, it's, it's something that transcends that hopefully our lives and it continues to be um, a foundation for a long time helping people with spinal cord injury. So we've met a lot of great people we have um, we have seen a lot of good things done with our charity and we're going we to be more proud of it.
0: And I mean, one of the things that, that strikes me is, you know, you talk about it as charity and as a charity and and surely it is that, but I mean, you know, in the, in the church's vocabulary, charity means love that it's, you know, it's not a question of, um, of giving to someone else because you can or whatever, but it's an act of, it's an act of love. Is that how is, how has had, how has your involvement with project 34 um, exposed you to the ability to love other people that you wouldn't have otherwise been in contact with? I mean, how has that helped you at a, at a sort of personal level?
1: Whenever I wanted to get to the big leagues, I've always wanted to do something for good, right? And you're, I was given this tremendous responsibility as a baseball player. How am I giving that back? And being able to to meet a lot of people that that aren't as fortunate and um, that don't have the means that Corey and I have, um, it's, it's something that you just feel like you need to do it and um, you want to do it. And you and you and you want to um, give as much as possible because uh, we were given so much. So I've met so many people from around the world and met so many different families that have been affected by a spinal cord injury, from a, a tragedy of a guy getting um, shot in the back of his neck in, in Pittsburgh and now he can't walk anymore um, on his on his graduation day, um, to a family where their son woke up one morning and couldn't move and they didn't know what the problem was. And just seeing, seeing all these tragedies happen, but, but having no one lose their spirit or lose their, lose their faith is something that um, helps me love, love more. And um, it's, it's incredible. We've been hit by the pandemic as well. One of our first grant recipients um, passed away from COVID to sort of see that and to, to talk to the family um, after the fact and, just seeing here how grateful they were just to, to receive the standing frame that we got them and how they're giving it back to the next family, um, is, is incredible. And I'm just, I'm super thankful for everyone who has helped out project 34. I'm super helpful for everyone who, uh, who has reached out wanting to help. And it's, it's, it's been an incredible few years.
0: It sounds like, I mean, it's, and you know, we'll, we'll put in the show notes, a, a link to the project 34 website. And I'd, I'd encourage anyone who wants to go to go have a look. Cause it's, it's really quite the project. Um, when you're sort of looking ahead as a husband, a father, and a ball player, what's on your horizon? Because, I mean, I'm, despite having been married for over 10 years now, my wife and I are now just expecting our first Thanks be to God. You know, we had to, we had to wait a long time, but um, you know we've got that. And I I noticed my horizon already has completely changed from a guy who was just pushing forty and sort of you know had a, had a life that appeared very stable. And all of a sudden everything's changed. So I'm curious as as a guy who has a career of you know especially in light of what we were just talking about, with Project Thirty Four, an indeterminate length um uh, maybe you pitch to your 45 maybe you pitch another season who knows yes. um but at the same time as as a father of young kids as a husband like what does what does your horizon look like in terms of your life and what you're looking forward to and what you're where you're trying to go and how does your faith help you get there how do you keep a frame of reference when you've got sort of very very different time <laughs> horizons going
1: yeah i think i mean as as a father you're you're going to see like the one thing you do as as a husband the one thing you want you want to help your wife get to heaven. Right. And then as a father, you want your children to get to heaven. And that's, and that's really it. Right. <laughs> everything else is, everything else is, is moot, but um, man, we're my family and I just moved back to San Diego. Um, so we can be closer to my family and my wife's family. We're expecting our fourth in November. Um, and it's, it's, we are so incredibly blessed where we're in this kind of flow of, we're kind of just going with it. We're enjoying everything that we, that we're doing right now. We're enjoying every step of the way. Um, This year has been wild going from not knowing what team I was going to play on to playing for the Cubs, my dad's home favorite team, um, to getting traded, going to New York of like, of all the teams, like that was like the last on your mind where you thought you would be going to now um, they're back in San Diego and I'm stuck in New York. We're just, we're just really kind of just going with the flow and, in terms of a family, our young, our oldest just started kindergarten. So that is a new horizon for us as a family trying to navigate, um, first year of full school and, uh, and everything that comes with it. But we're just, we're, we're incredibly blessed and we're, we're really looking forward to, um, what, what comes next. And we're just, we're just anticipating, um, and we're just, we're just kind of rolling with it. So, and hopes and dreams, man, I just, I just hope, my kids all get to heaven and I hope I, hope I can help them way. Anyway.
0: I can't think of a better place to leave.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much
0: for coming on. I really appreciate it. And hopefully my father will not listen to this podcast because I don't want him to hear say good luck with the rest of the season with the <laughs> New York Mets. Um, although if you're, when you're playing in Washington, I, I think I can, I think I can bring myself to cheer for the Mets if you're on the mound for them against the yeah. that I can do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You have been listening to a special episode of the Pillar Podcast, a product of Pillar Media, a JD and Ed Mutual. I have been your temporary host, Ed Condon, and we will see you on Friday for a regularly scheduled episode. Go Cubs.